time to get ready for the day's action. From the sides to the totals and everything in between, nobody does it better than the tough cover with Mark Henry. Right here on The Gambler. Look in my eyes, what do you see? The cult of personality. And what is going on in the city of Philadelphia? No Mark Henry Jr. today, but my name is Sean Bernard, and me and Jeremy Horwath will be in to fill in and break things down here. Yeah! Yes, sir. We're going to kick things off, talk a little NFL for the first half hour, and then joined by my guy RB from RB Philly Take and the Out the Mud podcast with Paul Reed to break down everything going on with the Sixers right now. Jeremy, as we were talking before this, Sixers may be the most entertaining and exciting team in the city right now. Do you agree with that? Oh, I do. It's so much fun to watch the Sixers. So much going on. Tyrese Maxey playing out of this world. Tobias Harris playing so well. Joel Embiid doing Joel Embiid things. I love it. I think they are the most exciting team in Philadelphia. Absolutely. And we will wrap things up with a little blast from the past and take a look at James Harden getting off the snide with a game-winning four-point play for the Clippers last night. So I would be remiss if we did not mention that and bring that up at the end. But I do want to begin today by mentioning that Mark Henry Jr., as I said, will be out. But don't worry, we do have his picks for you guys. That will be played at the tail end of this half hour before the first break. So make sure you are staying and waiting around for that one. But Mark Henry Jr. has been around the world. We've seen him in Chicago. We've seen him in Charlotte. And guess where he woke up this morning? In the mud. In the right mud. there in Twitter. I woke up this morning. My alarm goes off. I take a look at my phone. Not even 7 a.m. yet. And I'm already seeing Mark Henry debating people online and i do want to have his back a little bit here because some wild tweets and wild takes and i mostly agree with him on everything here i'll begin by saying when i think about the most overrated player in the nfl ryan fitzpatrick not quite the first name that pops in my mind but that is what mark henry is saying and <laughs> i want to start with his original question here and i'll kick it to you first jeremy josh dobbs has been the story of the nfl of late the Pastronaut, which is an awesome nickname, it one is. of the smartest players in the NFL. Very impressive the way he has no clue the playbook, learning on the fly, getting the job done, and leading this Vikings team to win. So two separate takes here. We'll start off with the Ryan Fitzpatrick. Is it disrespectful to call Josh Dobbs the next Ryan Fitzpatrick? How do you feel about that? That's that's wrong. I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're coming from different situations, but J Josh Dobbs being that backup quarterback and just excelling in every way, but they're doing it in different ways. Ryan Fitzpatrick was putting up those numbers, you know what I mean? He was putting up 350-yard passing games and, you know, just some stuff like that. Josh Dobbs is coming in here and winning games. He's not just putting up good numbers. He's winning games for yeah. the most random teams. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I would say it's disrespectful, but, oh, man, Josh Dobbs is awesome. <laughs> I yeah. love the story. I'll be honest. I think you could make the argument that it's disrespectful to Ryan Fitzpatrick. That this guy was like the prototypical backup quarterback forever. Two very smart guys, by the way. We yeah. got Harvard grad Harvard and we got grad. a uh, yep. NASA employee on Josh <laughs> Dobbs. Uh, and just to run through Josh Dobbs, he has been around, been in the league since 2018, Played for the Steelers, played for the Titans, even was cut by the Jaguars, didn't officially make that squad. Yeah. Uh, and then this year we saw him with the Cardinals, and then now with the, the Minnesota Vikings. Some very impressive stuff from Josh Dobbs. The other take that Mark Henry threw out here was Josh Dobbs might be more dangerous than Kirk Cousins with this Vikings offense. Your thoughts on that one? That's wild. <laughs> okay. Now, I, I love Josh Dobbs. Again, we love the story. Kirk Cousins, I mean... I guess it's something different. Kirk Cousins is the guy you know what you're going to get out of him. You know you're going to have a good season, but is he really going to be that guy to take you over the top? Maybe not. Is yeah. Josh Dobbs really your answer, though? I mean, it's fun and everything. I I wouldn't say Josh Dobbs is better with his Viking teams than Kirk Cousins, but I see where he's coming from. I see where he's coming from. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is a weird one. That Kirk yeah. Cousins is like the the James Franklin Penn State era football. They, yeah. I can tell you the wins and losses, the games that he's not going to be able to come up big time when you enter the season, but you can't deny some of the stats that he puts up, some of the yeah. production, and a guy that everyone seems to respect and genuinely like, which I do think matters in the context, especially at a position like quarterback. So yeah. I'm not going to be digging on Kirk too much for that. 
There was one last take that this one a little bit away from football. I didn't even want to throw this one on you ahead of time, but I fully agree with Mark here. Thanksgiving food is the most overrated food on the planet. I'll even go a little far that I think Thanksgiving is a holiday. It gets a little overrated. What are your thoughts on that, Jim? I know. Okay, so I hot. saw the tweet. It was mm-hmm. about stuffing, correct? It was. I want to extend it here. Stuffing alone, I, I think is garbage. Yes. I, I won't even eat on Thanksgiving. But yes, I think Thanksgiving food is a little bit overrated. I think Thanksgiving is fun because of family and football sure. and stuff like that. I, I think it's a little bit overrated. A lot of people like putting it above like Christmas and stuff like it's that, crazy. which I think is absolutely wild. Um, but yeah, Thanksgiving food... I, it's just turkey stuffing and mashed potatoes every single time. You know if it I mean? was that good, we would eat it other times of the year. That's that is how true. I feel. I don't need that cold turkey that's been sitting out. That nope. is by the time it's carved <laughs> up, you can't get it hot. You got to throw gravy on it. All this stuff and stuffing is just not good. Period. No, I can't get it down. I don't so yeah, get it. I, I'm like I like that Mark went out on that limb. Me too. I'm not me a too. Thanksgiving food guy. I even think that I see no flag on the play if people want to make an adjustment and have like steak on Thanksgiving. Dude, like I love that sounds that. amazing. It yeah. does. So I would have no issue with that. But I was happy to see him go out on that limb we do have three games of football on thanksgiving this year as usual uh well there will be the three traditional games for thanksgiving i'll get too ahead of ourselves diving into it we'll begin with this week's slate but i want to kick things off with the biggest news for the nfl which of course is watching that thursday night him try and throw that ball on the sideline and very clearly like crippling in pain grabbing it a very bizarre injury and then now they're tying in the whole investigation as far as why wasn't he listed on the scout or the injury report what was on his hand when he came off this plane a ton of weird stuff there i've seen these class action lawsuits calling out for people being concerned their bets and all these things what's your thoughts on the joe burrow situation as a whole and how much do you think this changed things for not just cincinnati but the nfl as a whole it, it changes everything joe burrow you know we know he's just that guy uh he he comes out he's the biggest part of the Bengals. bank Bengals season is over mm-hmm. they they should not have any more expectations i don't I, I think that's pretty obvious to say and it just Ravens are clear-cut favorites for the AFC North now. Uh, how how much more like how how important is that going to be? How much is that going to change the landscape of the AFC? It's it's going to affect it a lot. Uh, yeah, I and and I think it's going to help the Ravens out the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's how I'm going to view it. Yeah, and uh, Jake Browning, the backup quarterback for Cincinnati, not a guy that I will hang my hat in. Is has the juice to bring him over. Really didn't see much from him in that Thursday night game after that. He did come in for that that second half, and he just may so- not be as good as Joe Burrow. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, a safe take there that we can ride with. And just to look at the AFC picture as a whole. Kansas City Chiefs number one with a seven and two record leading the AFC West. Then the Baltimore Ravens at number two, an eight three record, first in the AFC North. As you mentioned, their kind of path to win that division pretty clear now. Jacksonville Jaguars six and three, Miami Dolphins six and three, Pittsburgh Steelers six and three, Cleveland Browns at six and three, and the Houston Texans at five and four. If the season ended today, that would be the playoff cutoff. How do you feel about the Houston Texans? I know you're a CJ Stroud guy. I, it's tough not to be at this point how impressive he's been week in and week out. Do we have to consider them as legitimate contenders in this AFC this year? I mean, I don't know necessarily about legitimate contenders. Tough. But because the AFC, you, you do have those top teams. I guess with Joe Burrow being out, it makes it a little bit more interesting. But, um, yeah, when you have teams like 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 the Chiefs and the Dolphins, I don't see the Texans being anywhere near them. I think they're a great mediocre team and they have exceeded expectations. CJ Stroud is not was not supposed to be as good as he is right now. Yeah. I think you could actually involve him in the MVP conversation at this point. It's, the real deal. Is, it's so wild to say that. We we didn't think much of this Texans team coming into it. I, I mean at least I didn't. I saw this being a two or three win team mm-hmm. and you know, someone that was on them really early was actually Mark Henry Jr. He's been all over Stroud, all over the Texans, been betting them week in and week out, and they are so much fun to watch. I don't see them being legitimate contenders, but throughout these next couple of years, they got, they have like, they had the foundation, and they're oh, yeah. just going to continue getting even better. It's they're, they're they're fun. They're so much fun to watch. Yeah, and it's kind of like we the, this phrase gets thrown around too much, but I think they're playing with house money this year. That yeah. they have a chance to by default kind of be in the hunt. So if they can show up, if they can carry this into the playoffs, and the worst case scenario is this is an incredible growing experience for C.J. Stroud, exactly. for D'Amico Ryan as the first year head coach who should be in the coach of the year. I would believe front runner at this point in time the way he plays. But yeah, it really is concerning when you look at the AFC, how open it is. Even looking at the teams in on the bubble now, Cincinnati sitting at five and five, the Bills at five and five, who've looked bad, Chargers at four and five, Jets at four and five, a lot of teams that just haven't put it together. Do you think the AFC fully runs through Kansas City? Are you giving Baltimore at least a fair shot or even them the edge? 
Uh, I mean, I, I, w- I would still give Kansas City. He, they, they, they are up top, but Baltimore, mm-hmm. they're interesting, man. They, they're a little bit more scary than than we'd also think. For sure, um, defense is a real deal. Defense is so good. Lamar Jackson having a great season as well. So much fun to watch. I, I don't see anyone else really contending with them. I, I, I think it's the same way in the NFC. It's like Eagles and uh, Eagles and Forty ers pretty much. You know right. what I mean? I think at this point, it's kind of just like Chiefs and Ravens. I, I don't see anyone else really having a decent shot at it. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I want to dive into this Chiefs team a little bit. We know we have the Monday night matchup between Kansas City and the Eagles, the Super Bowl rematch of last year, a potential Super Bowl preview of this year as well. Yeah. And the game that I believe will go down as the most viewed regular season NFL game of all time. For starters, a Monday night football game, a primetime slate, a Super Bowl rematch, the Chiefs and Eagles already going to be a massive draw. And then you add the Taylor Swift there effect it is. with T-Swizzle coming all the way back to the States, <laughs> hopping in the booth. Apparently both sides of the family on the Kelsey and the Swift. We're, we might see less football than the Taylor Swift cam, which is going to be frustrating to anybody. Yeah. But I do think this game has a chance to have the highest viewings of any game ever. That's the thing. It should be that way, even without Taylor Swift and yeah. all of that other For drama sure. coming into it. And then you got the Kelsey's facing off. It, it's it, it's going to be an all-time fun game. And Taylor Swift, sure. If you're going to get some more fans in the NFL and make it more interesting, sure, why not? I don't hate it. But it's it, it, I, I don't think it's crazy to say that it's going to be one of the most watched NFL games. I, I think that's very true. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you feel about the game specifically? So the Chiefs are coming in as three-point favorites. The over/under set at forty-nine and a half or forty-five and a half in this one. Eagles plus one twenty-four on the money line. What's your outlook for this game as a whole? So it's it's really interesting because these are both teams that are so different than how they were last year. Yeah, you know, Mahomes has slowed down a little bit and being I wouldn't call him a game manager at any at any point, but he's not going out and just destroying teams, having four hundred uh, yard passing games over and over. Uh, he's just he's game managing and just getting the win. Same thing as Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. They're doing the exact same thing. You don't see blowouts happening with either one of these teams like you did last year. And now you have two teams that have been playing a little bit conservative. Are they both going to come out aggressive this time against the other top team in the, uh, in the other conference? Hopefully. That'll yeah. make the game a lot more interesting. Uh, it's it's going to be a close game. Uh, I, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that the home field advantage is going to work out in the Eagles' favor, and I think that they can pull out the win. But either way, I, I don't think it's a bad thing if we get like a small loss. I mean, you're facing the other best team in the league. And right. again, just like how you brought up with the Texans, it's going like, to be like a learning experience. For right? sure. I mean, they, they, this is like scouting how this could be in the Super Bowl. Um, so I, I, I think the Eagles will pull out a very, very close win. Uh, just because of the home field advantage. Yeah, and I I have no issue with even if the Eagles do lose this one. That yeah. I don't think we should panic by any means. That this is a game that will be... I even think there's a chance that Nick Sirianni and the Eagles played a little bit close to the vest and not reveal some of their tricks of the trade. And I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I have no issue with it. And to touch on the Chiefs, like they very clearly are buying into the mindset of Patrick Mahomes can make anyone around him greater, and they're really pushing the envelope of that with that receiving core this year. Guys like Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, just not really weapons that strike fear into an opponent. And not that they miss Tyreek Hill as a whole. I mean, they obviously do because he's incredible, one of the best wide receivers in the league. But I feel like they overlooked it to a point of you still got to have somebody's there. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it time in and time out, year in and year out with different organizations. If you think about like the Patriots, them pulling out the guys like Chris Hogan and Wes Welker and Danny Amendola and these guys, Julian Edelman, that you have no <laughs> clue of. There's teams that are able to pull out these undrafted guys that go under the mm-hmm. radar. I don't think the Chiefs have hit the nail on the head with kind of going with this tactic. And they've also really bought in of kind of a defensive approach. That that defense is the real deal, probably the best that we've seen in the Patrick Mahomes era. I think that's going to push this Eagles team a little bit. And I'll also say on the Philadelphia side of things, the bye week came at the absolute perfect time. Yeah, That Jalen Hurts having a chance to finally put his knee up, put some ice on that thing. He's got no brace coming back this week. And I think there's a chance that he can be rejuvenated. I was really concerned with the the version of Jalen Hurts we saw in that final game. Not from how he played, because he actually played pretty well still. But he just clearly looked in pain, was not moving around. And what makes him special as a football player is when he is that true dual-threat caliber player, where he can take a guy on with his legs, pick up a first down with that, and still sit in the pocket, be composed, and just pick a defensive part. When everything is working for him, he can do both of those things. I think that knee was holding back to a point where he couldn't. I don't need to see that Monday night, but I would like to see just a pain-free game and him looking in better shape. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think something else for the Eagles, I mean, obvi- it's very obvious, but Travis Kelsey. We talk, yes. about, we talk about how we don't, the Chiefs don't have the best receivers. Mahomes isn't throwing to the best guys, but you still have that Travis Kelsey 
PTSD. Because Travis, he, he just balls out every single game. You know he's going to want to do it against his brother. Who are they? Uh, with who, his girl in the crowd. With his girl in the crowd, around their family. Who? What, what are some things that the Eagles can do to try to stop Travis Kelsey? Who are they going to put on him most of the time? What are kind of your views on how they can stop him? Yeah, I wish I had a better answer for what the, the correct move is for that. Just to look at some of his props, over and under for reception is at 7.5 at plus 110, 74.5 for yardage, which I actually unfortunately like the over of both those things that I, I do know, think right? they're going to force feed him pretty heavily. That We will see what this kind of looks like from the Eagles' perspective. They very much seem to be, both with Jonathan Gannon last year and now with Sean Desai, we're still seeing this bend-but-don't-break strategy, yeah. which unfortunately, unfortunately opens the door for Travis Kelsey to get all he wants under the middle. So I would like to see some adjustments throughout the game. He's a guy that is going to be the the featured piece of their offense and is on a week-by-week basis. But yeah, I'm concerned with what they can even do. And he's leading the pack with touchdown odds, minus 110 on an anytime touchdown. Pacheco right behind him at plus 110. And Mark Henry Jr.'s favorite bet, and one that he will be mentioning when we go to the pick section, Jalen Hurts up to plus 125 on an anytime touchdown. That's so insane. Surprising to see that value kind of swing the other way. That That's creeped all the way down to minus 110 at one point. And I don't know if it's the knee that they're kind of buying into of, of taking that back a little bit, but I think that is good value this week. And Jalen Hurts, I mean, the last time that they played the Chiefs, Hurts had three rushing touchdowns on the ground, so I like that number quite a bit. If 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 I'm remembering correctly, I remember Mark tweeted out a couple days ago. I believe he got at plus one fifty on a sports book that quoting Mark Henry Jr. No free ads. <laughs> <laughs> he got at plus one fifty, which crazy. is absolutely insane. This is what he. This is what Jalen Hurts does. We're not expecting him to go out and make a tw- and get a twenty yard rushing touchdown. They get down to the one yard line every single game, and you get at least one brotherly shove a game. For Jalen Hurts to score a touchdown, it and if you when you get up plus one fifty yards, he's going to hit. It's going to happen again. I don't care about the knee thing. He still oh he has a knee issue. Oh my bad. He may, maybe he's only squatting five fifty instead yeah. of six hundred now. <laughs> oh, but who's still there? Jason Kelsey's still under center. Right. You got this entire offensive line still there. Jalen Hurts is getting a touchdown again. I can't believe how disrespectful they are for Jalen Hurts anytime touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. And. Any other games you think jumping out to you? A couple specific that I'll kind of read off and that I like. The Texans is minus six against the Cardinals. As I mentioned, I think the Texans are the real deal. That I think this is under C.J. Stroud. I know Kyler Murray has brought some juice back into that Arizona uh, organization as a whole, really. But I do think the Texans can come and take care of business there. The Jaguars minus seven against the Tex- or against the Titans intrigues me as well. Jaguars is a little bit of a put-up-and-shut-up time for me that if they want to be considered this AFC threat, which they were hyped up to be coming into the year. Yeah. Now's the time. Put your foot on the gas and prove it. So I like that matchup as well. Titans not really going anywhere. The Commanders and Giants. Commanders, eight and a half point favorites there. Anything jumping out to you? Oh, what's jumping out to me is Bills Jets. Uh, these guys sure. still fighting for their AFC East. Uh, Bills at five and five. Jets at four and six. The Jets can sneak into that second place spot and be possibly a game or two behind the Dolphins just like that. And the other one, we know me. Mark already texted about it earlier. <laughs> Seattle Seahawks are playing football tomorrow at 425 against the Rams. And you bet I am all over the Seahawks. Mark, you're welcome. Love it. <laughs> but Seahawks versus Rams, another game that I'll be tuning into being a secondary Seahawks fan at this point. Love it. I also like the Vikings. Uh, plus two on the spread, plus 120 on the money line. The Sunday night football game against the Denver Broncos. This could be an ugly Sunday night game. We're talking Josh Dobbs versus Russell Wilson. But... I do think that hey, the hey, Vikings hey. are cooking. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I will say, in the Broncos' defense, they are coming off back-to-back wins. They do look like they're playing football. Now, never mind the fact that if the Bills just put 11 men on the field for that <laughs> final kick, that I'm not speaking as positively about them. But they are in the hunt and still open for the taking. So they could absolutely get a win and try and make a statement there. I think I lean toward the Vikings in this one. It should be a good week of football. And we're starting to get down to this home stretch where each game matters, the playoff picture is being painted, and we're kind of having an idea of where which which of the cream is rising to the top, which of these teams are pretenders, which is cool. I think we can slide over and give Mark Henry, let Mark Henry list off his picks here, and we're going to go to break after this. On the other side, we're going to be joined by RB Philly Take to talk all things Sixers. Excited to pick his brain and talk a little bit. You know him from the Run It Back, or RB Philly Take on Twitter. He also does the Out the Mud podcast with Paul Reed. Excited to get his thoughts, but first, let's hear Mark Henry's picks right here. What's up, Jabronis? You're listening to the Tucker Radio Show. Sean Bernard filling in for me admirably. And I just wanted to, to call in real quick and get you my picks for the day. 
in college football. I'm going to run through these really fast. My bet of the day is Coastal Carolina minus three for five units. I like Louisville in a pick'em against Miami for three units. Arizona in a pick'em against Utah for four units. Georgia minus ten for two units. UNLV plus three and a half against Air Force for one unit. Notre Dame minus twenty-four and a half against Wake Forest for one unit. Oregon State minus one for four units against Washington to pull off the ranking upset but not the spread upset. Missouri minus ten and a half against Florida for two units. Texas minus seven and a half against Iowa State for two units. And at ten thirty to close it out, I like the over fifty-six in New Mexico, Fresno State. Looking at the NFL board, I have about 10, 11 picks that I like, a couple anytime touchdowns that I've added recently. I like the Cowboys minus 10.5 at the Carolina Panthers. They take care of business against bad teams. Jake Ferguson, anytime touchdown, plus 230 against Carolina. The Steelers plus two. I grabbed that early in the week. I would still take it on the money line right now at the Browns. In that game, I also like Kareem Hunt, anytime touchdown scorer, plus 270. And I like Dorian Thompson-Robinson, anytime touchdown scorer, plus 550. Commanders, minus 8.5 versus the Giants at 1 o'clock. The Chargers, minus 3 at the Packers. The Jets, plus 7 at the Bills. Josh Allen, anytime touchdown, plus 145. Vikings, plus 2.5. Josh Dobbs, anytime touchdown, plus 275. Jalen Hurts, anytime touchdown, plus 150, of course, is the best bet of the week. The teaser of the week is Cowboys, minus 1. Commanders plus one and a half, 49ers minus one and a half. That's going to do it for my portion of the show here. Enjoy Sean Bernard on the Tough Over Radio Show for the rest of the Thanks. The Gambler, Philly's home for all things sports gambling. And we are back on this side with the Tough Cover Radio Show. Back to talk some Sixers. And with me to do that, with me and Jeremy to do that, I have a very special guest. He is RB Philly Take. You know him as the CEO and 76ers content creator of Philly Take with RB. He's also the host and Eagles content creator for A to Z Philly, as well as started the Out the Mud podcast with the Philadelphia 76ers very own Paul Reed. So a guy that is killing it on every level, has been running the YouTube game for quite some time now, and a guy that I am happy to call a friend of mine. So RB, appreciate you for joining me tonight. How are we doing? Sean, appreciate you having me on, man. Excited to be here and chop it up. Yeah, absolutely. So it is good vibes. It feels a little better talking about the Sixers these days than uh, some of the other times that we have been through for sure. So I want to kick things off, talk a little bit about last night's game against the Hawks, a 126 to 116 victory. Sixers moved to nine and three on the season, sitting at second place in the East. What stood out to you about last night's victory specifically, RB? I just thought that this was another game on the 82 schedule, mm-hmm. the in-season tournament. What really stood out was that glaring court that looked like they were playing on a glacier. My <laughs> eyes are still hurting from last night. But uh, the Sixers just took over in the second half. And once again, this team finds ways to win games. You know, it was sloppy. It was pretty ugly for, I'd say, 70% of the game. But just the way this team's able to will themselves together, Joel Embiid uh, taking the ball down the stretch, a couple clutch buckets, and... I think this team just knows how to win better better than prior Sixer teams. And it's not like the Hawks are, you know, some championship-level team, but on the road, in-season tournament, a little more to play for. I thought the Sixers did a good job closing it out at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a nice, mature victory by the Sixers. And that's kind of a, a theme that I'm seeing is they feel like they're taking care of business in a way that I have not seen from them in past years, that it always felt like there were these random games where they just kind of did not show up and now they're coming off two performances against the the Pacers and the Celtics which they did not play their best for sure but there's a lot of games to be played I thought last night was an example of a game that good teams win and they found a way to do that I also like that they acknowledged the in-season tournament that they considered it a must win I think it's cool that they did that what are your thoughts on the in-season tournament as a whole RB are you in on this idea or still skeptical I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm on the side of let's wait it out and see. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still a little confused on the overall incentive. I know there's financial play in it, but other than that, having a tournament earlier in the season, I get what they're trying to do, but it's not really similar to me when it comes to the play-in because that's 
literally to get into the playoffs. There's a lot more on the line. Mm -hmm. I just feel like guys have to be incentivized, and I think some of these younger teams, ones that are probably out of it by you know mid-December, January, those teams will play very hard. I'm not still sold on you know some of the championship level teams going all in 20 games into the season or, or 10 to 15 games in. Yeah, it is going to be interesting, and I think my greatest point and theme on my take on things is I think the, the coolest parts of this tournament are still to come, that once we get past the group stage and start to see these elimination matchups, we will feel the intensity, but I like that the NBA is trying something different, and it is cool to see. I agree, the courts are a little much. The The Sixers one specifically was painful in the eyes a little bit, but you know what? We'll take it where we can get it. And as far as the game itself last night, so Joel Embiid leading the way with scores, 32 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. That eight assists is something that really jumps out to me. That we've kind of talked for years about where where can Joel continue to grow as a player. That we've seen him be this dominant force defensively. We've seen him lead the league in scoring for two straight years. But it is that playmaking leap that we're seeing from him. Do you agree with that? And where where do you think that is coming from? Is that a credit to Nick Nurse as far as the offense? Is that on jo Joel specifically, or what are you seeing in that area, RB? Yeah, honestly, I think Joel has hit that level of his career, that maturity stage, as you mentioned earlier, where you know, it's all or nothing at this point. As great of a talent as Joel is, and I'm all in on him as a player, you know, he needs to perform down the stretch in the playoffs, obviously staying healthy, but this team can't get over the hump. They have not gotten over the hump, and part of that is due to Joel, right. you know, not being more versatile in other areas. So, yeah, I think it stems down from Nick Nurse, and having a chance to talk with him this past week, I can just tell he's so much more focused on the team aspect, and I think – you're seeing that with this team relay down to certain areas. There's no ego on this team. Mm -hmm. There's no, it has to be me this night, or it has to be him that night. You know, Joel's spreading the wealth. Tyrese is spreading the wealth. He's been cold a few games. But even the way Tobias Harris is playing, there's so many guys on this team contributing, and I think it's just different from the past. You know, Joel has always been superior, but now he's putting more trust in his guys. And I think that really just is, is the tone that's set at the top. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, you did sit down with Nick Nurse this week on the Out the Mud podcast with Paul Reed. He said a lot of interesting stuff in that. And we talked a little bit about that the defense, they're, they're less than 50% of their defensive set, sets have been put in place. That they still have plenty to learn. They're kind of adding things to the playbook as the season progresses. And one of the things that he said in that interview that was very cool to me is he's like, it depends on the matchup for what we learn. Like if something's working, we change on the fly, adjust to that. And then that's something that we now add to our playbook or we have, you know, in the cards to pull out when necessary. When talking with Nurse, what was kind of one of the biggest takeaways that you had from him? Obviously, he talked a lot about the both personality side of things, coaching. But what was your just feel for what he's bringing to the Sixers team and your overall optimism for him? Well, before I say that, one thing I want to add on to what you just said is I think that showed in a parent fashion last night, right? Mm -hmm. They go with Jaden Springer, yeah. and he ends up playing 22 minutes last night. But why did he stay in? Because he was making such an impact on the defensive end. Even a guy like Daniel House, who's been up and down through his career here in Philadelphia, you know, he goes for 14 last night. Nick Nurse stayed with what worked. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the glaring differences that we have seen this year as opposed to prior years. You know, yeah. Doc Rivers would always have his certain rotations, his certain minutes, and guys would get subbed out no matter the circumstance. And I think now you're seeing Nick Nurse kind of ride with what works, and it's been huge for this team. Mm -hmm. But as it relates to Nurse, I think one thing I really picked up on, not even just on the basketball floor, but in general, is that he's very humble, man. He's very appreciative of his opportunities, whether it's coaching overseas or sticking in the G League for 10 years. Nick Nurse is appreciative of every opportunity. And I think you kind of see that in this Sixers team identity. You know, they go out and they fight. They fight every night. Even if it hasn't looked the best the last couple games, you know, they're scrapping down to the final possession. It's not a what we would call scheduled loss in prior years. This team goes out, they fight, and I think, you know, really they're trying to get it out the mud literally every single night. They're going, they're working. And they just don't give up. And I think that's really one of the main differences. And I think it stems from Nurse and really his coaching style. Yeah, absolutely. And that is infectious. And there was a lot of cool stuff that you dove into in that interview and just cool things about Nick Nurse as a whole. I find something really valuable in kind of his whole upbringing and path to becoming the coach that he has. Coaching in different leagues at different levels, having unique circumstances that are thrown at you that you need to adjust to. For example, when he's coaching at, at that point, the D-League level, when he is uh, all of a sudden has his two best players called up to the NBA and he's got to figure out how can I manufacture offense? 
those kind of lessons stick with the guy. And I think he's very clear about having that just in his mental capacity. And you're right. He is very humble throughout everything. One of the cool questions in that interview that was actually the, the final question asked by Paul is yes, what's your why? And I thought that was a cool answer by Nick Nurse, just kind of speaking about how he's here to compete every day, win every day, talked about his upbringing with his family, being a, a big family and all those things. So it's, it's really cool that he's kind of instilling this in the team. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the just adaptability and riding with the hot hand in a way. Jaden Springer specifically is a guy who's now played 20 minutes in back-to-back games after really being buried in the rotation and getting some DNPs for a good part of this season. Do you think Springer's in it to stay, or do you think that's an answer to some of their defensive concerns? I definitely think he will be a part of this rotation moving forward. I think Nurse is going to assess this team over the next month or two, mm-hmm. and, and it's really why I haven't been you know, too much inclined to talk about, oh, should the Sixers get another star, or should they stick with their depth and go for role pieces I think there's a lot that has to play out. I think you have to kind of wait and see, you know, which guys step up. And I think it's almost like Sixer fans in the past are, are worried because Doc Rivers would never do He would have his set guys. He wouldn't adapt. He wouldn't give young guys playing time. But Nurse is going to really kind of stick out and, and give guys certain opportunities and see what sticks, you know, throw it at the wall. And I think Springer is definitely going to be a huge impact piece on this team. Honestly, not a guy I would have expected a few years ago, mm-hmm. but he's definitely made some strides in his game. The shot looks better, and we know what he can do defensively. Yeah, and I totally agree about the, this is the period of evaluation for the Sixers team. And probably the guy at the epicenter of that conversation is Tyrese Maxey. We've seen him score 50 points. We've seen him have 10 assists, 0 turnover games, showing that he's capable of being a point guard, 11 assist game. He's the only player in the NBA to have multiple games with 10 assists and 0 turnovers this season. What's your outlook for Tyrese Maxey? I know Paul on the podcast said that the, there is no limit or there is no ceiling to his limit as a player. What are you seeing from him, and how high do you think he can truly grow as a player this season? Man, I mean, this season and going forward, I think Tyrese is going to be a star. Yeah. Not even just a star, a superstar. And I think we're seeing that maturity leap this year. Even though he's been a little bit you know, off the last couple games, the confidence hasn't been there early, just the way he can heat up, I mean, we can talk about him all day, the the talent, the speed, everything he can do. But I think the number one thing that has improved is his outlook on the floor. Yeah, He's not turning the ball over. He's getting guys involved. And the confidence factor has been huge. Like, he's willing to take the ball late in games and go take over. And I don't think that's something he ever had a chance to do previously. But in terms of the leap for this season, I think that's honestly the number one factor that will determine how this Sixers team plays it out in terms of a roster construction. Because if Maxie can take that leap and you truly have that dynamic duo with Joel and Tyrese and a guy like Tobias playing a lot more freely, et cetera, mm-hmm. why do you need to go out and get another guy who's going to have to take 20 shots a night? It wouldn't make much sense. I think Tyrese is just going to grow and nurture. And I think Nurse truly believes in Tyrese Maxie. He said it from day one. When he got hired, we need to put the ball in Tyrese's hands more. Yeah. Even, you know, four or five games ago when Tyrese had a really productive game, he said we still need him to be 25% more aggressive. And I don't think he's going to let up. I think Tyrese will solidify himself as probably one of the premier guards in the league this season. And I think he's going to be an all-star. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think he's going to be in the all-NBA conversation to take it a step farther. And just to look at his stats as a whole on the season, averaging 26.9 points per game, 6.8 assists, which is a massive leap from the 3.5 he averaged last year. 1.5 turnovers compared to the 1.3 that he averaged last year, which to me is incredibly impressive considering how many more passes and how much more he's been asked to do without these additional turnovers. And then the three-point percentage still at 43.3%. That's probably my biggest critique of Tyrese so far is I want more volume from the three-point line. I also do want to give him credit that as a defender, I think he's improved miles since when he first came in the NBA. So I'm totally with you that I think this is the guy. I think this is the Joel Embiid co-star that we've been waiting for. That I've gone on here multiple times and said I believe the two-man game between Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid is more dangerous than the two-man game between James Harden and Joel Embiid. And the reason that I say that is because 
James Harden's incredibly elite at the things that he does, but he's very limited in the things that he can do. When you bring a guy like Tyrese Maxey with its youthful energy, with this pace, with the shooting ability, the movement that you can bring in, you can mix in so much more, whether it is a traditional pick and roll, which Maxey showed the ability to hit that pocket pass in an advanced way. He also is capable as a spot-up shooter, a guy that can do the dribble handoffs. There's plenty more that you can just juice out of it. So how do you feel about that take, RB? Do you think this Maxey and Embiid duo can be more dangerous than the Harden and Embiid duo? Yeah, absolutely. And as crazy as it may sound, I think Tyrese is still scratching the surface because I think once he gets to that level of confidence where he's ready to do it every night, I think you can say goodbye to the rest of the league because Mm -hmm. how are you going to stop Tyrese, especially when he has a partner like Joel Embiid who demands so much attention, so much, uh, you know, so much on the court. Like Tyrese is unbelievable as a talent. And the one thing in terms of shooting the deep ball that we wanted to see improved, I mean, he's done it beyond expectation. The guy is now shooting over 42% from deep three years in a row, Mm -hmm. and it was effortless. He's only 23. He just turned 23. Imagine what this guy can be two years down the line, three years down the line, four years down the line. I think this duo is going to be one of the best in the league for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. Love to hear that. And yeah, I've given up putting a limit on what he can be because he just continues to blow past the ceiling that I and everyone else have put on him, whether it is as a playmaker, as a shooter. It is terrific. Now, as we've spoken about, this is kind of the evaluation period for the Sixers. There's plenty more sample size that we're going to gain as these games go on. We, we've seen a lot. We haven't seen many of these premier matchups. Yes, they've played the Celtics twice. They've played the Bucks already, but there's plenty more games that I have circled that I want to note as far as how this team matches up. Looking at it as it's currently constructed, how do you feel about this team's playoff outlook, RB? How close do you think they are to, we'll say, the Celtics or the, the Bucks or the top tier of contenders as they're currently as this roster currently looks? Well, I think they're an unfinished product. Mm-hmm. And first and foremost, I want to say this for the people hitting the panic button out there because they lost to the Celtics. Okay, they beat the Celtics fully healthy the week before. So that's one thing. Yep. In addition to that, what... Like what? What percentage I would say of people out there had the Sixers starting nine and three in their <laughs> first twelve games, and also rallying eight off in a row? Like this Sixers team, to me, it's not really that they've won nine games; it's how they have won these games, putting teams away early in the second half, being able to rest Joel Embiid. There have been a lot of games this season they have dominated, and they held it close with Milwaukee. You could argue maybe a couple calls mm-hmm. could have sent the game in the other direction. Boston, they beat once. Sure, it was a bad loss a couple nights ago. But to me, this Sixers team has competed probably in every single game. And I think another important factor to keep in mind is that the two wings that they have on this team are the two guys that can play to three comfortably. And Kelly Oubre and Nick Batum, you know, have been out. They've been out. And when they've been in, this team has looked drastically different. So I think they're an unfinished product. But I think this team is levels beyond what they were in the past. I think it stems down from... The identity that Nick Nurse has put into this team, I don't think they will stop working as they go through the season. You know, every game is important. And looking towards some of the big dogs in this league, to me, the East is not impressive at all. I mean, Milwaukee's struggling to kind of find their identity. Not a big believer in Miami. And we know the Celtics will be there. So, really, in my mind, the Sixers have one team to kind of push through, and they've already beat them once this year. I'm really not that concerned right now. I think this team could get over the top, especially – now that they have ammunition to go out and add more at the deadline. Yeah, I love that optimism and totally agree. And I like this approach of sitting back, continuing to evaluate and striking when the time is right. And as you mentioned, both Kelly Oubre and Nicholas Batum have not been with this team this past couple games. Two guys that are going to be probably 25 plus minute per game guys when they are in the final rotation and when things are fully swinging. Uh, Both have been terrific. Oubre has been awesome as a scoring punch, a guy that hopefully he heals up and that whole situation resolves itself. The Sixers are absolutely missing himself, missing him on the floor. And Nicholas Batum, I think, is terrific. It's just a connective passer, a guy that does all the little things. And the Sixers team feels loaded with guys do just the little things, the hardworking things, what translates to winning in a way that I don't think this roster has had in years past. Now, one guy that I do want to touch on, or go ahead, is that do you have a thought on that, Arby? Yeah, I was just going to say, what has this team missed in prior years? You know, they mm-hmm. missed production from the small forward position. I mean, they had zero point Tucker last year, who <laughs> literally was a donut in almost every single game. Yeah. And when they add those guys in, when you add a 16 point per game, Kelly Oubre, 
you just you just see the drastic difference and having that outlet, you know, for Joel when he's double teamed to kick it out to a willing shooter, it, it just makes a world of difference in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more there. And I, I just I feel bad piling on and kind of talking about this guy negatively because I do really like him. But Anthony Melton's become a point of concern for me with this team. And I do think he's a useful player. I would like keeping him around. But I don't think that you win a championship with DeAnthony Melton as your starting shooting guard. And what really is kind of perplexing me is this stat. Shout out Troll Bro Dude for tweeting this out. DeAnthony Melton at the rim this year between 0 and 3 feet is shooting 22.7%. Compared to his 3-point percentage, which is 41.9%, that's just an absurd difference. And he truly feels like such a reckless finisher and very just strange player. That he has such important strengths when you talk about his defensive ability, his ability as a shooter, as kind of a floor spacer. He's a willing catch-and-shooter. But he also struggles as a guy that can create offense for other. The Sixers have kind of tried him as this backup point guard role. Has not fully worked. He's shifted to more of an off-guard role with, even with the second unit. They've kind of handed that responsibility over to Pat Bev now. But what do you feel about DeAnthony Melton? Do you think that's an area where the Sixers need to upgrade? Or Originally, I liked him as a compliment to Maxi, but I'm kind of walking that back a little bit. So how are you feeling about Melton so far this year? Yeah, honestly, he's probably been one of the biggest weaknesses of the team. Mm-hmm. And I also really like him, especially as a kind of 3 and D guy. We saw how much he produced last year. Yeah, I just think he's much better suited off the bench. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about a bench of potentially Kelly Oubre in as your sixth man and DeAnthony Melton right behind him. And I think that provides a lot more production to the bench, who has been weak in some games this year. And honestly, I'd probably say that's their biggest area of need at this point. Maybe a two, a combo guard, or maybe just a guy that can play off of Maxi. Because I've also noticed that at points, especially in the first quarter of games, it's like Maxi doesn't really have the ball in his hands a lot. And sometimes it feels like Melton is the guy handling the rock, and it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. I don't think he's being optimized in his best role right now. So I would much rather see him off the bench. And I do think the Sixers, Daryl Morey, will look to address that area of need. I think it's a huge one right now. Yeah, I totally agree there. And the trade conversations are going to begin to get louder and louder as we approach the deadline. I think the Sixers did the best thing possible with this Clippers deal, not only for ending the James Harden issue, but to stock the closet with assets, just be able to take a step back, look at this team, and then strike when the iron is hot. The biggest name out there right now is currently Zach Levine, and there's been a ton of buzz. There is the connection with these Sixers, both in the Tyrese Maxey standpoint, that he's a New Balance guy and a clutch sports guy, as well as the Joel Embiid guy, that Zach Levine's a Drew Hanlon guy as well. He's trained with Joel quite a bit. Do you have any interest in Zach Levine to the Sixers, RB? I do, but I also don't at the same time. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I I just think it needs to play itself out. I think you need to see, one, if Tyrese Maxey truly is taking this leap into that next tier, and two, if Tobias Harris can continue to keep up this production because, you know, as much as we've talked about Tyrese and Joel, let's not forget Tobias Harris, man. This guy has been stuffed into many different roles. He's been a great veteran locker room guy. And when it boils down to it, Tobias has been one of the most consistent players this year, even last night. Yeah. The way he stayed physical going to the rim, he's averaging 20 a game. If these three guys can continue to average above 20 points per game, it almost makes me feel like going to get a Zach Levine would be a waste mm-hmm. unless you're playing him primarily off ball. I think that really the Sixers just need to upgrade the ancillary pieces, find the right role players as of right now. But then again, that could change in a month, a month and a half. So I, I like Levine. I think you know people give him a bad rep sometimes in terms of his attitude and his defense. But honestly, I just don't think the fit has ever been there with Chicago, with DeMar DeRozan. I never really liked that combination. I think he'd be great here in Philadelphia, but it's all about what this Sixers team needs. And I think you just have to evaluate that as you look forward the next month or two. Yeah, and that's an excellent point as well. And it is nice to not have this rush that they're not searching for the deal or still trying to make a James Harden trade. I do agree with you. I think Levine gets a worse rep than he deserves, that he is pretty efficient as an off-ball shooter. I think if he bought into the role of being that third piece next to Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid, that I would love how it looked in Philadelphia or how it would look with this team. But I think my greater concern is still on the defensive end, which he would not be an asset. That's where I still kind of circle and sitting back is if they do need an OG Ananobi archetype of player, or even a Pascal Siakam. Like, I still remember Jason Tatum dropping 50 on us in the playoffs and that ending our season. And I still haven't seen a clean fix for how that can get better. So I think I lean towards the defensive side of the ball being a little bit more of the the priority. But also, it's very clear that they do need a secondary ball handler to some extent. 
So how do you feel about that? Do you would you weigh defense a little more, or would you say a Zach Levine type or that style of player? It's something you'd be more interested at this point in time. No, I, I'm in agreement with you there. And, and even going back to something that Nurse said on the interview on the podcast, he said, you know, we don't have truly a lockdown guy. Yeah. And even Daryl Morey has spoke recently saying in the playoffs, you need two-way lockdown players. You need guys that can do it on both sides of the floor. And when you get to the playoffs, when the bright lights are on, you need a guy you can stick out there and have, you know, really a lot of certain confidence that that guy can go and lock up the Jason Tatums of the world or, you know, the Jimmy Butlers or the Giannis or whoever it may be. So I agree. I think the Sixers need to go out and honestly, you know, prioritize defense in the playoffs. As long as they have a healthy Oubre coming back and a Batum guys that can knock down shots, they need a lockdown defender. And they also will need some help uh, at the backup one. They will need some more ball handling. And honestly, a guy that kind of fits that archetype right now who's been hot on the trade rumors is Alex Caruso. I know it's mm-hmm. early, but, you know, a player like that, who I also think would fit Nick Nurse's system perfectly, be able to switch a lot and really just have that hunger in terms of attacking the ball, especially on the perimeter. Yeah, that's awesome. And a ton of reason to be optimistic about the Sixers team. It truly does feel like better vibes than some of the times that we've been through. Hopefully more to come. RB, I appreciate you taking some time for, to chop it up with me today. I know I mentioned you got the Out the Mud podcast with Paul Reed. Plenty of other big things with the Sixers world and with the you know, the YouTube stuff you got going on. Just take me through everything you got on your plate as far as content right now. Yeah, man. So you can... Find all my Sixers content on YouTube, Philly Take with RB. You can find my Eagles coverage on A to Z Philly on YouTube as well. I have the Out the Mud podcast with B-Ball Paul. We'll have some special guests coming up on there. And really, you can just find me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm always on there active and um, you know, just putting out as much content as possible. Awesome. I appreciate you hopping on today. We are going to take a break here with the Tough Cover Radio Show. On the other side, we do have to address the James Harden game winner last night and everything that went down with that game. But RB, thanks once again for hopping on today. We'll be with you on the other side. That's facts. She likes squad everybody. The game started. My new boo hooping at night and he said he played the garden. He said if I ain't watching and that ain't started. She points to the guy that she talking about and it's James Harden. Damn, dog. Lost your girl to the sniper, huh? 13. Good guy. Lost your girl to the sniper, the huh? The sniper, son. <laughs> Shout out to Drake for a little James Harden dropping that. And James Harden taking the souls of the Houston Rockets last night. That one had to feel good for him. So I go home. We had a nice broadcast on Manny Young last night presented by My Philly House. Watched the Sixers game with Sean Brace and then Gerald Colton for a little bit after. I get home for the tail end of this game. And I see James Harden just absolutely snatching the soul of the Rockets with a step-back three-pointer, a four-point play. He needed that so badly, and he got it. We have the audio that we're going to play right here, and I want to talk a little bit about it, Jeremy. Clippers. We are in bonus play. Leonard. Nine to shoot. Harden. This is for the lead. Vintage James Harden right there with the step back three. I had a surprising feeling when he hit that, Jeremy. You know why? Why is that? I felt good for James Harden that he hit that. (laughs) And I can't believe that I had that in the tank after all this. But I really did feel that way, that he desperately needed to see one go through. As much as this Clippers team has been a mess, and I still doubt that they have any potential to fully get it to a true championship contender, they're not as bad as they've been playing. They will figure this out to some extent. So... How do you feel about this Clippers team as a whole now that the dust has settled a little bit? What's your kind of feeling on James Harden right now? Uh, kind, of, kind of like what you said, how like you're a little bit happy for him. I feel like he's been going, he's been going through so much as a recent stuff that he created stuff for that the record. He created yes. for sure. James Harden was one of my favorite players, and it just it seemed like I just despise him now. But it it was it was kind of refreshing to see James Harden actually get a win on this Clippers team. I mean, it took five games to finally do it. But they did it, and uh, we'll we'll see how the rest of the season goes. There's a lot of a lot of different drama still going on there. Russell Westbrook now being asked to come off the bench, by the way. Yeah, and I actually respect that out of Russ. So do I. Russ, you can have your complaints and doubts that he can ever contribute to a championship contender, or that his play style at this point in career can really translate to winning. Those are all fair. But the thing that I'll say about Russell Westbrook is I have a ton of respect for the way he swallowed his pride. He adapts to whatever team he's on. He wants to win. 
and he leaves it out there on the floor every single night. That he competes hard, he plays hard. None of his issues are due to effort or energy level or unwillingness to play a certain way. That's not Russ. Now, he's not a great shooter. He turns the ball over too much. There's things to point out with his play, absolutely. But I do have a respect for Russ that I don't think I had a couple years ago. So I do think it's cool. And I think it's the right basketball move for him to come off the yeah. bench for this team. I don't I don't think we saw it coming. I mean, seeing how he was in OKC, just putting up triple doubles over mm-hmm. and over, being being that kind of player, we didn't see him... I, I would have never guessed that he was going to be in this type of role. And it's it, it's nice that even he notices it and he knows what he's doing. He's being a good team player. And by the way, the other guy in that trade, P.J. Tucker right there, <laughs> 15 minutes last night, zero points, Donut. zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, <laughs> zero blocks, was a minus 24 on the game in wow. 15 minutes of play. And James Harden to give him his full love on the night, by far his best game with the Clippers. 24 points in 34 minutes, also added 9 rebounds, 7 assists, shot 8 of 11 from the field, and 2 for 4 from 3. That's the James Harden that they were expecting to get in this deal. You can really make a compelling case that James Harden helped the Sixers team if you really want to go there. That he A, got Doc Rivers fired. That was the leading part in that. He B, brought back these talented players in the trade, like Nicholas Batum, like Robert Covington, Marcus Morris, who is unfortunately yeah, cooked and not going to bring him. <laughs> but KJ Martin I like and have not seen enough of yet. Also added these draft picks, which pot- which lead to the Sixers to have these potential moves to make in the mm-hmm. future. So I think I'm viewing James Harden in a little more positive light than I think I did. And that is mostly due to the the leap that Tyrese Maxey's making, the way this Sixers team is still playing well. And these are, as I mentioned, issues that James Harden created. It's not like he's the victim in any of this. But it is kind of cool that he is finding his stride a little bit with the Clippers, that he had that moment. I think he and Clippers Nation as a whole needed that more than any regular season win oh, of anybody man. all year. The 0-6 kid since he got there. So cool to see him knock that down there. Yeah, I mean, and something else with James Harden, it was just... That is, he he did. He just really needed that. Yeah. He just really needed that kind of game. And cool that Kawhi deferred to him on the plate, too. That we saw Kawhi, like, kind of playing it up. And then more energy than I've seen from Kawhi in a celebration, like, ever. Like, I've seen that guy not being as express, show as much expression when he won the championship as James Harden hitting that shot. So, I do think these guys are consciously trying to make it work. I'm happy that this is not a team that I have to follow on a day-to-day basis or report about and watch, but it is an interesting little experiment that we're going to be watching from afar, and I will absolutely be paying attention to. So Clippers sitting at 4-7 and seven on, on the year. The other game that jumped out last night that I caught the tail end of when I got home was that uh, Phoenix Suns game. Kevin Durant down the stretch. It was Phoenix Suns versus Utah Jazz. Kevin Durant down the stretch just showed that he is still that dude. We've yet to see the big three of Bradley Beal, uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant step on the floor together. It was supposed to be last night, and then yeah. it got pushed back once again. I think they're going to have an issue building some chemistry with the fact that we have not seen him yet, and I still don't see how these guys are all going to play on the same floor at the same time. Yeah, because they're all, like, I don't want to say very similar players, but they're all shooters, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, ha- they they take the ball, they have their own control, and it's it's going to be weird trying to see them build that chemistry, and I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, and Bradley Beal is probably the biggest question mark for me there, that there was a point in Bradley's Beal's career where he was the real deal. He He was was a scorer. He was that guy. He could defend at a high level. And then he kind of went through these years where some of it was absolutely effort. Some of it was not having motivation because the Wizards were such a a nothing organization for Mm -hmm. several years. But he really just kind of lost that that drive after he was a scoring champion for a period of time. He had these accolades individually. And there was a stretch in the John Wall day where they were competing in the playoffs and really a fun team to watch. And I'm curious what version of Bradley Beal still exists. Is he still that guy in there and just did not care these past couple years? And Kevin Durant, as I mentioned last night, 38 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, 15 of 22 from the field, and 6 of 8 from 3 is ridiculous. I also want to give some love to Devin Booker, who's really taken on the playmaking just responsibilities for this team. He finished last night with 24 points and 15 assists. That's pretty nuts from Devin Booker, ripping a 15-assist game. I think he's a guy that goes underrated in the conversation for how good he is, too. He truly is up there in the 1A star category, in my opinion, and I don't think he gets that kind of love. Yeah, I mean, so the thing is, one of these guys had to be that playmaker or the facilitator because you can't have all three of them being their shooters. Right. And seeing Devin Booker be the guy to actually do it, his entire career, we've seen him as the shooter, you know, the guy to drop all, drop so many points and make so many three-pointers in the game. He was just the shooter for the Suns for the longest time, and we didn't really know how much of, of a facilitator that he could be. And it turns out he's... He's really good at it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm um, I'm excited uh, when Bradley Beal comes back. Maybe he can still have that role of just being that shooter, and maybe he doesn't have to facilitate as much. And I I think it's gonna be really interesting. Devin Booker heavily underrated. I I 
I, a lot more respect is being put in his name now, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully he can keep up with the play, keep up with the playmaking. Yeah, and I do think he will, and I, he's going to have to for that team to, exactly. to function as properly constructed. I'll also give a little shout out to Eric Gordon, who's been very good as well. He's a guy that has some juice left in the tank. Is not he's past his prime for sure, but he can still play and still has legs. He still moves at a level which I didn't wasn't really sure he still had. So shout out to Eric Gordon for being a little bit of a glue guy for that team. And just to look at these standings as a whole, it's obviously still very early in the NBA season, but we'll start at the Western Conference. Denver Nuggets leading the way, tied with the Mavericks with a nine and three record. Both those guys top, tied for the first seed. The Timberwolves have moved up to eight and three, sitting at third. They've played some really good basketball this year. Anthony Edwards looks like he's taken another leap. Jaden McDaniels is the real deal. Rudy Gobert looks like a competent basketball player again. I don't know what happened last year, but he at least is providing value to that team. The Oklahoma City Thunder sitting at eight and four. The Sacramento Kings at seven and four in the fifth seed there. The Houston Rockets at the sixth seed at six and four. So I want to bring up these three teams and put them in a little category, Jeremy. So we got the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Sacramento Kings, and the Houston Rockets. All teams an interesting, I guess, pass as an organization. If you had to pick one of those, out of those three teams, which of those do you think end the season highest in these Western Conference rankings? So I I can't involve the Rockets in there. As much as I'd want to, I mm-hmm. just don't see them uh, keeping up the success they have right now. Okay. Uh, so I think it has to be between the Kings and Thunder. I think it's going to be very close for the rest of the season. But I think I'm going to go with the Kings at this point. I think it's De'Aaron Fox's time. Like He's that. finally going to be like that star 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 player and uh with uh with Sabonis over there too I think that they're just going to be a team that is going to be able to compete in this western conference not saying anything away from the thunder I mean I, I think they're still going to be a very good team but I think De'Aaron Fox is really going to take that next level step yeah that's fair and they're the team that had the most success last year Sacramento finishes a three seed last year De'Aaron Fox leading the league in fourth quarter scoring and clutch time scoring last year Sabonis has looked very effective again this year triple double kind of machine on a nightly basis so they got a lot of good going on there I will say I think this Rockets team is around for the long haul a little more than I think a lot of people do. That the way they're playing, I think Ime Udoka made a terrific coaching decision in making Alperin Shingun the primary playmaker. Is yeah, he's so fun to watch. But I had some serious issues with Jalen Green as the the guy that was a primary distributor. I just don't like his decision making as basketball player. And Jabari Smith, who's their other top three pick that they have as this core, is really not capable of putting the ball on the floor and creating whatsoever. So by giving Shingun these responsibilities, and he was a guy who kind of was in the, the dog pound and not getting out of the cage last year, he's getting his full opportunity and making the most of it. So I like the way that things are functioning. There's a lot more off-ball motion. They're one of four teams in the top ten in both offensive and defensive rating. Actually down to three teams now because the Sixers fell out of that conversation after that Pacers game. So cool that the Rockets are still sticking with that. And the Oklahoma City Thunders, I think, will be my answer to that trio there. I just think SGA is the real deal. Oh, he's so good. I think he's the best player out of all three of these teams and a guy that is continuing to get better. So very exciting stuff. And just to dive through the rest of the West, the Lakers at 7-6 and six in 7th place, Pelicans at 6-6 six and six at 8th, then the Suns, the Warriors, the Clippers, and then Jazz, Spurs, Trailblazers, and Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> down at 15th. Two and nine. We know the John Morant suspension. How much should they be hitting the panic button right now? Right now, Jeremy. Uh, I I think they have to regardless. Uh, I I know John Morant. How how, how long is he out for? Twenty five games. Twenty five game suspension. Mm. I, I think there has to be a lot of panic there. If you're two and nine already, what what is your record going to be looking like at that twenty five game mark? Is John Morant really going to be that amazing of a player to really? push for a playoff run when you're already 25 games in this season, I think it's already time to be a little bit panicky. Uh, I I wouldn't have a lot of faith in that team. Yeah, and Marcus Smart just going on the injury report with an ankle thing. He's the guy that I have my eyes on. If that they get impatient, want to move a guy, Marcus Smart would be a welcome piece to play next to Tyrese Maxey. That is the type of upgrade over D'Anthony Melton that I'm talking about. Does yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so that's something I definitely have my eyes on. To shift over to the Eastern Conference before we wrap things up here, got the Celtics at 10-2, and two, uh, leading the pack. Sixers at 9-3 and three in second. The Milwaukee Bucks have climbed up to tied with the Heat, each with an 8-4 and four record tied for that third seed. And I guess what gives me the most optimism about the Sixers team is I'm going to list off all these teams right now and tell me if a single one of them you think are even remotely close to the Sixers. So I would consider the Celtics by far the number one team in the East right now. I'll give you the Milwaukee Bucks as the number two just because the Giannis and Dame duo has that potential. And then I put the Sixers firmly as three with the Miami Heat, Indiana Pacers, Orlando Magic, New York Knicks, Cleveland Cavaliers, Atlanta Hawks, Brooklyn Nets, Toronto Raptors, Chicago Bulls, Charlotte Hornets, Washington Wizards, and Detroit Pistons. None of those teams are nearly as good as the Sixers. And that is what gives me hope about the Sixers team is, yes, they have some flaws. Yes, they're still figuring things out. 
but I think they're a stone's throw away from the top and that there's plenty that they can still do to get there. Yeah, they, and the thing is that we're, we are 12 games into the Nick Nurse era. Yeah. And there's a lot of people stressing out about it. And I know one of the teams named the Pacers. We lost to the Pacers a few uh, a few days ago. But this team is really good. Yeah. Like, they are exceeding expectations. Again, 12 games into the year, they're doing better than the Milwaukee Bucks with Dame, with Dame Lillard and Giannis. They got a better record than them. Mm-hmm. I have a lot more faith than, I guess, a lot other fans. Uh, but they look really good. The only team that, and I wouldn't even say is really that worrisome, is the Pacers and Heat. It's really just those two. But... The Pacers got to die down at some point. They're scoring an insane amount. They they have to die down at some point. There, there's yeah. no way. And the, the Heat are just going to be that fine number four seed. I think they're going to sit there the rest of the time. And I I don't see anyone else having competition besides the Celtics and the Bucks. Yeah, and plenty to be excited about. The Sixers will be back in action tomorrow at three o'clock against the Nets, and then have their final in-season tournament group stage matchup against the Cavaliers on Tuesday. So make sure you are locked in and ready for that. Also got the Eagles Monday night game against yeah. the Chiefs, which they'll be all eyes on. And we have some Villanova football right here on Fox 1025, The Gambler, that will be coming up. So we're going to hand off the reins to Villanova football at this point in time. Make sure you tune in for the pregame show as well as the game in itself. Those will be popping on the airwaves next. Thanks so much for listening on the Tough Cover Radio Show. Mark Henry Jr. will be back next week. But for now, Tough Cover Nation, let's ride.